okay. I've been wearing it for two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Safe to say, it fucking stinks. Hello and welcome. I'm Steve. And I'm ready. And I'm player one. Ooh, I thought you were going to say, and I'm set. Uh, and this is Fools with Tools, a podcast for the vicarious videographer. Uh, gentlemen, how are we? Uh, how is everyone? What's everyone up to? Al? Why is it always Al? For fuck's sake. Because um, you've got such a happy, smiley face. God. Right, so uh, today, which is Sunday, um, I've pretty much finished Format Al. Yay! Um, so this past week has been a massive drive to get it all done. Um, a lot of sheet metal work. Um, today I've been doing uh, mostly leather work, which was kind of interesting and fun and a bit out of my um comfort zone well the whole the whole fucking thing's out of my comfort zone but um <laughs> i have hit bits of metal before but i've not done a lot of leather work so uh making belts and buckles and stuff um yeah. a lot of stitching and um, riveting it was rather riveting um and it's pretty much all done um so there's a i'm probably gonna spend the rest of the day doing like weathering and some painting and adding some kind of battle scars and stuff like that uh, and then I've got um, a little bit more sewing to do. Some of the fabric bits need to be finished off. Um, but yeah, I've got like a, a whole fucking list. Like I, I'd made all the metal pieces and thought, oh, great, all the metal's done. That's the suit of armor finish. It's like, you know, that's <laughs> like maybe half the job done. Um, there's so many facets to, to like making a costume, especially one that's actually like not just cosplay. It actually fundamentally is a suit of armor. real. <laughs> It's, yeah, it's because we're real. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, just all the kind of auxiliary bits that need to go on and little kind of, um, you know, like kind of screws and bolts that tighten things that obviously yeah. then have to be fashioned in a way that like fits the the suit um, and the aesthetic of it. Um, but yeah, so there's a, there's a long list of parts. Uh, I'm working my way through it. Um, but yeah, I think it's mostly just finishing, and then then it's done, and then it'll be a case Yay. of ed- editing. Uh, the most footage I've had since building the hack shack. Um, <laughs> so yeah, there's a, I think the edit will be quite a slog, but that's so the, that's the easy bit. On Thursday, Wednesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Depending on how quickly I can get you. Yeah, you didn't, you didn't say what Wednesday or Thursday. Just yeah. a Wednesday or Thursday. A Wednesday or Thursday. Um, Nice. Yeah, I am extremely excited to see that because I know you two have been uh, sending each other images back and forth, and I've not seen any of it yet, and I'm super excited to yep. see it when it all comes not out for you. Uh, <laughs> and then yesterday I had a little bit of R and R because it was actually meant to be my friend's uh, bachelor party. Ah, cool. Um, but the wedding's been pushed back till next year, so it didn't happen. So instead, we had like a a remote webcam stag do um, <laughs> where we all just sat in the garden uh, and it was rather pleasant and all lit our own barbecues um, and that Amazing. was nice and then uh, caught up with my dad because it was his 70th birthday yesterday so it was all ah. very much a uh, an evening of, of webcamery nice weather cool. camery <laughs> barbecue, barbecue joke yeah. there for Steve yeah. and that's me nice uh Brett, what about you? What have you been up to? Well, um, so I've been working on the interior of the workshop, Ship Shop 2.0. And similar to what Al was saying, it's like I skinned the walls with ply. And I know I chatted about that last time. It was like, right, so we're done. No, shit. All right. So needed some shelving, knocked up some shelving. Um kind of unpacked stuff that had been locked away for, you know, six months since I started the move. And uh, that's always kind of a nice feeling, you know, when you when you get into like cleanup mode or like, I need to go <laughs> through these boxes that I've had sitting around. And you start pulling out like, I had all my maker coins from <laughs> Maker Central last year. I'm like, oh, that's the one from Jamie. And like, oh, this one, you know. Um, that was really nice just to be able to kind of put everything up again because i am i am very visually uh stimulated but also 
it's it's those like inspirations you know where you look at that thing and you go oh yeah i remember i was looking at that and it made me think of this thing and i wanted <laughs> to try making that so just being surrounded by visual fodder helps me a lot um all my rooms and apartments in the past have always had like one wall dedicated to just stuff that visually gets my brain going um so that's that's been really exciting obviously i i I kind of need to wrap up this video that I've been shooting on the interior build out, even though uh, I really want to get the forge set up going, which is going to be a task in itself, but super excited because then I get to start hitting metal again. <laughs> um, by getting everything up off the floor and working on the shelving, I started to you know get a better sense of what kind of space I have within this little tiny shop. So um like I was talking in the pre-show, similar to Al's Hack Shack. I don't know if you've heard of that before, but uh, Al, you have the main workbench, you have HB, and then you have like a couple of small little low profile storage and yeah. worktop areas. So I need to knock a couple of those together just for the three or four things that I need to get off the floor, but also create just just a couple different areas that I can do like small work or prep work. Since I have yeah. that one rolling like industrial style stool. Yeah. Um, I'm sure you guys remember seeing it when you were over, but uh, honestly it was like, do I, do I need a chair? Do I need like a work bench, a proper chair? It's like, no, I'm just going to roll <laughs> that thing around to different yep. areas of my shop. Perfect. And yeah. obviously I need to be aware of, everything either being able to knock down or kind of hide away or fold up. So there's some little engineering and fabrication things that are coming to mind. Um, I was actually having kind of like an idea session with Jess the other day. And I think this is a brilliant idea <clears throat> to do a relatively low profile or short width table that, that I can sit behind for the beginning of the videos, but then the top of it would actually fold over and double in size. So uh, if nice. I make it, you know, yeah. if I get a sense of how big I can make a table, how wide I can make a table and still have it be comfortable in the space, then it's just like, right, cut it in half, mm -hmm. fold it over on top of itself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so just finding ways to optimize the space as best I can and obviously giving a huge priority to forging because that's what I want to do the majority of anyways. Um, Chris Cash has been super helpful talking me through uh, some solutions for the forge. I have a uh, follower of mine on Instagram. I think I told you guys about, but he's only, I think he's an hour's drive away and he's a blacksmith with the shop and uh, he's got a full-time gig, but he's actually been, since he found out that I moved out this way, <clears throat> he's been really keen on getting me out to his shop and he is offering a lot of help and a lot of like, I've got extra this, that, and the other thing, if you would be nice. interested. Now we've never met. We've chatted a few times through Instagram. So I'm very keen on going out. I think it's going to be next weekend. Um, I'm going to go out and chat out some ideas with that guy. And he might actually be helping me with a gas forge situation, which I'm very excited oh, about because nice. Steve, I'm sure you know this, but like the coal forge is great, but when it's really just about like a little bit of metal that you're moving around, like the coal forge is almost overkill. If, <laughs> if you're just like making a hook, you know, I just need a wall yeah. hook. I don't necessarily want to have to fire up the coal forge every time if I don't need to. Yeah. Um, and just heat control on a gas forge is obviously going to be easier for me too. Again, it just comes down to space. It's like how how big could I, or how, how much space is having a coal forge and a gas forge set up and be like, yeah, that, that all looks good. Where do the anvils go? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So well yeah. excited. Got a lot of prospects going on. Um, and we can get into a little bit more of the, the shit that I've got going on in the future as we talk out things. So Steve, aside from these brilliant classes that, you are doing that I'm very excited every Saturday for what else has been <laughs> uh, so yeah I mean we uh, we we launched the website um, last week so we're officially 
selling uh, online now. Um, we used to have a, uh, a web shop, but we closed it a few years ago because it, it just became more work than Al could handle on his own because this is when, when he was the one doing all, all of the everything. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it, and that plus the fact that, like, some people were just being unrealistic in their expectations. Like, I'm, I think the one that really did it was um, Al had someone uh, email back and complain that two of the nails that he brought had a, um, like, a three mil difference in the size of the head. And I was like, they're hand-forged nails. What, what were you <laughs> expecting, sort of thing? Um, so, yeah, I think he just got kind of a, a little bit fed up with that. So... Um, but the business has changed dramatically since then. Uh, so yeah, getting to open up the web web store has been and the new website and everything has been really good. Um, it's it's definitely uh, a a more worthwhile website because I mean Al's old website was beautifully designed and looked great, but now there's there's just a lot more to it. There's you know there's a little bit more uh, kind of about us and who we are and what we do. Um, it feels more like it's like serving a purpose now, whereas the old yeah. website was just like a nice, like a lovely gallery. Yeah, exactly. The old, the old website was just kind of a, a static thing, whereas this has actually got updates and, you know, we're, we're putting things into it. We're putting recipes on there. We're putting um, like blog posts and things like that and, and talking about all the stuff that we get up to, um, which, yeah, I think I think it's good. It, it, it's now become something that you can actually visit on a semi-regular basis and see something new every time. Um, but of course, because of that, that means that we've now had a, a slew of orders come in um, for stock that needs making and cleaning and, and everything else. So um, we're tentatively going back to uh, working in the workshop. Obviously, Joe's been in there the whole time um, working away whilst all this has been going on. Um, I'm going back in and going back on doing some of the production stuff. Um, so it's really nice to get back in and actually get get my hands dirty again sort of thing. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um but it's just it it's trying to balance the um the social distancing side of it whilst oh, also yeah. working in quite tight quarters sort of thing um but yeah so that's kind of it and obviously like uh brett said the live streams have been going on they've been going really well um we i think by the time this one comes out al would have will have made the announcement but uh next week so when this comes out it'll be this saturday um we're doing another one and we should be doing it with gil meller um one of the chefs we work with so that's gonna be really fun um so yeah doing that uh and obviously the the youtube videos as well uh we put out a second video today um i uh i was up till i spent like most of friday trying to get the um the audio synced up like the the voiceover (laughs) and it just didn't work at all and it was awful um but i was up to like half two doing that and then went and did the uh sorry i was up till midnight doing that and then went and did the live stream saturday spoke to al about it we watched the video together and we were like right okay well we can change this around we can put that there we can i can put this in and um it was kind of nice having someone to uh just bounce some ideas off rather than just sitting there doing it all on my own and doing it in kind of isolation um and uh and i've managed to get jazz to come in and help a few times uh doing the same sort of thing but just kind of you know you get like snow blindness it's like i've i've seen it so much and i've listened to al's voice for the last 12 hours i can't even tell what's happening anymore um so yeah it was good doing that and getting that done um but like i say after after the live stream saturday i then sat at the desk and did another ridiculous amount of editing to get everything kind of looking good again um and syncing up and flowing nicely um and released that this morning uh and released it and oh no sorry i i uploaded it to youtube and was like right okay one last final check through and then realized there was a load of bits where i just like because it's divided up into little clips and i was doing the thing for each clip where i just missed color correction so it's like really nice and all warm colors and everything looks good and then ah it's everything's blue <laughs> and it's back to normal again and it was frustrating um yeah, so got that done, uh, got it up. Seems to go down well so far. Um, but yeah, it's just been kind of a an oddly busy time, considering I'm technically not really working yet. Um, yeah, I've just not had 
much in the way of free time to be able to do any of the things that I want to be doing. So I think next week I'm doing, go back into work, but I'm doing a couple of half days rather than full days because it means that I don't have to worry about having lunch at the workshop or anything like that. I can go in, I can do four or five hours um, of cleaning on the polisher and then come home and then get on with like working on the truck mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. working in my workshop or whatever. Um, Cause any more than four hours on the polisher and <laughs> shoulders die. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, that's kind of, kind of it. Nice. I think for me. Um, what we talk? Oh, videos. We're talking about videos, aren't we? I, I didn't <laughs> well, forget halfway through what I was talking about. Videos or you know, kind of storytelling. I think it is really interesting there, Steve. That you were talking about um, getting someone else's help with the edit, mm. which is something I never really think about doing, or not that I'm like precious about it. But when I hear about people getting other people to edit their videos, it always kind of weirds me out a little bit. Like, yeah, for me, the 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 edit is me it's my closure and it's my kind of making sense yeah. of everything I've just done. So I, I, I would, I'm not saying struggle, but I, it, it, it would be very new for me to, to either hand that over or vice versa, edit someone else's video. Yeah. I mean, th- this is just to be clear, this, I, I'm exactly the same. I couldn't let Al edit <laughs> it at all. Like I, it would, it would yeah. do my head in it's, it, but this is more just kind of getting someone else's perspective on it. Like, um, mostly it's just picking up on on little mistakes that i've made or if something doesn't work and i'm umming and ahhing and having to ask someone else because let's say if i've if i've spent 12 hours on a on a video editing it by the end of that 12 hours it's um like i i can't tell what's you've lost you lose like sense of like timing and everything because yeah you've been watching so many things repeat and like yeah Exactly, and it's like, and you you lose like the sense of um, of drama and of passion and everything else because it's just it's the same thing that you've heard a thousand <laughs> times. Um, so yeah, it's just kind of getting someone else to like, does this does this make sense? Am I, am I sure about this? And actually, to be fair, I with that video when I watched it the next day, um, I had a completely different view uh, to how I'd felt about it when I'd gone to bed that night. Right. Um, so it kind of like occasionally stepping away and just taking a break is is with any kind of making it it makes a big difference. But but what about you? Because I mean, you guys obviously do way more in the way of videoing than I do. And um, so, how do you guys feel about uh, videos and stuff and storytelling in a video? Well, we've we've had a whole episode dedicated to the storytelling aspect of talking about. Uh, editing and all the all the silly work we do the silly amount of work we do to tell the story correctly but um since you guys brought up the idea of editing either for somebody else or or having somebody else edit your footage i've had this conversation with loads of people in the past because so much of my younger days were spent being you know a staff editor or production worker x you know and what i've what i've kind of told um anybody that's either wanting to get into editing or uh somebody that wants to try and tell a story with footage that they didn't control or didn't shoot um i think it's a really strong asset for anybody that's in production even you know, photography, like most, most aspects of media just require you to be a chameleon of sorts Mm. (laughs) because so much of it is aesthetically driven or, you know, you have Al doing the voiceover, so you can't necessarily have so heavy of a hand on the edit that it, it detracts from Al or whatever his aesthetic is for Alex Pole Ironworks and the forge and our Al here um has such a unique way of storytelling but i feel like every as unique as every video is there is a common strand or common theme or common way that it's shot so you know even me filming in the hack shack when sophie and i were there like if you put al's video and my video right next to each other they effectively don't look anything alike Mm. yeah you know even though they're in the same space um and it's 
it's always very, very challenging for people to be able to, uh, you know, like we were talking about, it's either super difficult to edit for somebody else because they've already controlled the shooting and then you have to try and put it together. Yeah. Or you've shot something with an idea in mind or a storyline in mind, and then you give that off to somebody else. And then whatever they produce is maybe not what you had in mind, good or bad. It doesn't really matter. But if it ends up being different than what you kind of approach the shooting. Yeah. It, it can really, really throw you off because you're like, that's <laughs> not the story I was trying to tell, but yeah. maybe in the end, you know, you're paying a lot of attention to things like the color correction and the consistency and having this high quality edit because it's part of the forge. I mean, look at, look how many times that happens in Hollywood. Like a director either gets canned before the end of the film yeah. or the studio ends up like doing the final cut and it becomes a totally different film. So yeah. even with exactly the same, you know, plot characters footage, you can end up with two totally different films. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is why I'm actually going to release really the Schneider cut. I was going to say that. <laughs> uh, I was going to say that's why I'm going to release the Schneider cut on the Fools with Tools Patreon. Um, but yeah, I, uh, it, it's it's really interesting that you say you put it like that, right? Because like. I, I jotted down a note um, for when I was talking like with uh, with with the forge stuff it's it's my footage but it's not really my story um, it's it's a collaborative effort and that's one of the things is it's it's a really um, it, it's a really unique well it, it's a, it's a new way of working for me um, because this isn't a case of I'm being hired to do a job and it must be done like X, Y, and Z. It's a case of Al saying, well, I think we should, um, I want to tell this story as in, you know, I, I want to do a, a a nail or I want to do a, a blacksmith knife or I want to do a ladle or I want to do whatever. And um, and then because he's he's entrusting me with how that story is presented, so you know, I I'm obviously doing the all the filming, I'm doing all the editing, um, the voiceover stuff, and that's where we've had um, not issues, but that's where uh, we had difficulties with this one. Is the voiceover is is interesting because I have to direct Al to get the voiceover, and um, so I'm I'm going in with questions and trying to kind of steer his random tangents and uh, <laughs> offshoots of conversation into something that sound like that that can be put then into a, a cohesive thing and even mm-hmm. even when i've got um like sections of him talking if i could show you the timeline for uh for just the the audio from the video you wouldn't believe how often it's cut and spliced and it's it's like he's had a a 3 minute rant but i've cut bits from two and a half minutes to put at the 30 second mark. And I've put other bits here and, and moved everything around and chopped and changed it even like mid sentence yeah. just to make it um, a more um, cohesive uh, story. Um, and I mean, I'm very, very lucky with the fact that Ali's completely fine with me doing that. And, and he's fine with me dropping in, like when we make little fuck ups and mistakes and, and there's, there's a couple of clips uh, of us, like where we're just, giggling in the background and, and things like that. Mm-hmm. And um, and I, I think the next video is going to show a lot more of that as well. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a very, uh, it's a very strange thing because I've never had to do videos for anyone else. It's always been either for me or, you know, for me entirely or this new thing. So I, it's interesting hearing your point of view on mm-hmm. having to do it for uh, another person, another company. Yeah, I mean, it's been, I think I've produced videos on a professional level for five or six different companies, you know, yeah. each each company has a different aesthetic for the kind of media that they put out, you know, and we would have long talks when I was working for Pond5 in New York City, because yeah. we rebranded. And then everything, you know, our, our marketing guy and our creative director was very keen on like, now everything needs to have this aesthetic, like everything needs to have the exact same approach, except for that I was one of the leads. So he would be talking to me about like, do we use this color blue or should we use the green? And I'm like, yeah, oh my God, you know, I, 
it doesn't matter to the story in the end. Like I, I thought it was more driven. I, I thought we needed to drive our aesthetic more with story than we did, you know, which color, which of the six brand associated <laughs> colors we needed to use. Yeah. Um, but uh, I was going to just bring up two points. Um, first of which I'll, I'll say there is a bit from one of my favorite comedians, Patton Oswalt, who is a massive movie fan. You know, yeah. if, if anyone's never read or listened to Silver Screen Fiend or Zombie Spaceship Wasteland, his two books that he's produced, they're brilliant. And it's if you have any movie fandom and are also nerdy and think Patton Oswalt's kind of silly, he narrates both of them and they're delightful. Anyway, he goes on a rant in a stand-up bit where he talks about like male directors and how you know in very typical fashion it was just a very it still is a very male dominated industry but mm. some of some of the best editors and like the most world-renowned editors were these females that would basically come in after the guy had run through millions of miles of videotape and like oh, this is my opus and then the lady would come <laughs> and be like all right uh you go sit over there and like have a nap and I will try and put together your shitstorm that you created for me <laughs> and then make a brilliant piece of, you know, movie out of it. Um, that always, that always kind of delighted me because uh, with, with lots of like filmmaking research and a lot of, you know, just perusing um, filmmaking books or articles or whatever, it, it seems like there is a strong focus and I won't make it necessarily male, female, but, there is a certain personality type that will strongly focus on what the fuck are you trying to say versus yeah. the every shot that I took was brilliant and is <laughs> is like a renaissance painting in its own right, you know? Yeah. Um, Wes Anderson being such a typical and stereotypical, sorry, being such a, a stylistically associated with things like symmetry and color and all of these things every shot from one of his movies can be considered, you know, perfectly done or, or like the composition is so brilliant or the camera movement is so brilliant. But if you really look at some of the stories and the fandom behind somebody like Wes Anderson, there are people that are like, I didn't really like that movie. And you're like, why? Mm-hmm. Well, because there really wasn't much going on in the movie. It looked nice. Yeah. So this trade off of, like what you're going through, Steve, which you're filming and then editing, but you're kind of telling somebody else's story is tough. And, and the struggle to, to shoot it well, produce it well, tell the story correctly, but also keep your editing efficient so that you don't end up with 15 Ridley Scott (laughs) cuts that are six hours long, you know, Um, that's super, super difficult. And although, most of the people that we interact with and the folks in our community are filming themselves and then editing themselves. It seems like it becomes a trade-off, right? Or that is the typical trade-off that I tend to talk to uh, people about, which is, well, you know, I don't have a really good camera or like my editing software is not that great. I don't color correct any of my stuff. Here's the challenge that I present to people that maybe want to, to just kind of, get some inspiration or take in a bit of, I, I genuinely think it's research documentaries. Yeah. Every yeah. class that I went through in, in college or every little extracurricular that I, that I took um, based around filmmaking documentaries are fucking difficult because yeah. you are required to tell a very real and tangible story. And half the time it's with, uninteresting things or you know uh subject matter is lacking visual stimulus so how do you make a story about naked mole rats interesting (laughs) well go watch any story about naked mole rats is interesting you go watch errol morris's documentary on naked mole rats who errol morris is one of my favorite documentary filmmakers he just he was a director who figured out stories based on an initial spark mm-hmm. so like one of them is a pet cemetery and he found the family interesting and then by the end of the documentary you are like spun around a thousand <laughs> times and this family is insanely unique 
and there's a there's a deep deep story and the cemetery just like doesn't even matter by the end of the movie you you have lost track of what was going on and he allowed things like that to develop so again to go back to the chameleon thing it's like adapting to either your equipment or you know the visuals that you're capable of capturing um there's so many things that you have to balance and so many spinning plates that you're dealing with um the ability to direct that stuff or the ability to focus those things. And like, this is a very, uh, you know, making the nail, mm-hmm. maybe not the most interesting and intriguing thing that anybody has ever looked up for blacksmithing, but it was shot very well. And the story that gets told in it is the story very is like well done. Yes. Yeah. And Al, Al, as we all know, um, if you get him talking about something that he's passionate about, he, he just floors yeah. you. Like my jaw has been on the floor plenty of times, just listening to him talking about Grunsforth Brooks, you know, or like yeah. when he travels over to go take these classes or whatever with these guys, I'm just like, I just, just tell me all the stories. <laughs> this sounds so beautiful. Yeah. So I know I'm kind of ranting, but I get, I get very, very excited to like uh, throw examples out to people or like, uh, so much of it is just exposure to these things. Like if you've yeah. never, if you've never swung a hammer before, how would you know how to get into blacksmithing? If you've never told a visual story before, like maybe go do a little bit of research or watch, watch movie X, Y, or Z or short film X, Y, or Z to go. I want to do claymation. Okay. I'm going to send you over here to a Leica movie. And they have a ton of behind the scenes, like Kubo, you know, like go watch yeah, the behind yeah, the scenes yeah. of Kubo, see how they did it, do that research and then see what speaks to you. I think like as well as actually watching the the documentaries or the films or anything, I think it's it is very good if you've had no formal training to uh to watch. I mean, we've we've talked about cinema sin, uh, not cinema sins, fuck's sakes, uh Cinefix. Cinefix, uh before as well. Um having someone else that's passionate about cinematography and and storytelling and why things are told in that way what that shot means and what that invokes in people and and how that works like i think having someone that can explain that and that's passionate about it it makes it infinitely more interesting and then you know when you when you watch a wes anderson movie it doesn't necessarily mean you're gonna you'll watch it and you'll go oh, okay that that was cool but i don't necessarily understand why until you've got that that little bit of knowledge to it so i think having uh like setting aside a little bit of time to watch some stuff like that makes the world a difference because yeah. like for me i i've had no formal training i'm using a 12 year old camera that's worth like less than 100 pounds now sort of thing like it's i I didn't go out and do a load of courses on this and and buy the biggest and the best equipment. I'm just using what I had. And most of what I've learned has been from, like you say, watching what other people are doing and doing a little bit of research and like listening to what people are saying. Okay, well, that that doesn't really apply to what I'm doing, but this other thing does and that links onto this and being able to make those um, connections and make the connections between, you know, what that shot, says about the story and, and why it's visually interesting or if it's not visually interesting having something um like you say like being able to have someone like al talking over it to uh to make something interesting even when it's visually not because you've got that audio going on um i think that that's that's a really uh i'm, I'm very lucky to have that um but i think it, it's it's like you say it's getting that understanding of why those things are important and why those things um work if that makes sense yeah absolutely and i think to to brett's point and brett's often kind of encouraged me to to do my research in that respect and look at you know youtube channels who talk about the edit and um sort of master classes in in why an edgar wright film is you know, so visually captivating when it's just yeah. a comedy, but the, you know, it's because of the way it's edited. Um, but understanding those things, like why, why you'd cut a scene in a certain way, yeah. you know, it's so easy to just have a hard cut from scene to scene when yeah. you're making a YouTube video about woodworking, but to, to understand that actually, if you use a different kind of transition, it, it evokes a different 
sense of urgency or it, yeah. it tells you a different thing or it explains the passage of time differently so instead of just randomly using like effects you know it's the classic sort of powerpoint thing where somebody just uses all the transition effects in powerpoint yeah. <laughs> and thinks that you know the um venetian blind transition from page to page is relevant but yeah actually understanding when and where to use them you know be it through understanding the history of cinema or actually knowing what it makes your brain think so like yeah if 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 something goes from one side of the screen to the other it's it's you know it's evoking motion and it's telling you that something's happening or the way that you cut something can talk about you know time elapsing so instead of showing a shot of you sanding an entire table or doing a jimmy and speeding it up yeah. you can actually use really smart you know features in editing to go this is showing you the passage of time you know a montage in a movie every movie in the 80s had a montage and the way they did it was with the cut and it just instantly you knew that that meant time was passing. Yeah. You know, there was no there was no calendar on the wall or like a clock spinning around really fast. To yeah, really kind of, was to well, sometimes there's a calendar <laughs> on the wall or, or the weather would change. Um, yeah. But just the way that you shoot and, and, and edit um, a montage makes you understand that time is passing. Yeah. And obviously you then have, you know, um, Foreigner or someone playing, playing in the background. Um, <laughs> but with, yeah. Um, yeah, go on, Brett. Well, I was sorry. I'm sorry. I was just gonna jump in because <laughs> the like the human condition or the human response thing is not typical for a lot of say YouTubers or just like content creators. It's not something that's adhered to, right? Or people don't really take a lot of time to go. But they're missing uh, a trick, I think. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you, so, if you know those things and you can add those elements into what would otherwise just be a standard kind of maker video, you know, suddenly you've yeah. got an extra dimension. Well, okay, so I'm, I was kind of... Oh, we're giving it all the way. I'm kind of stumbling over my words there for a second, so apologies. Um, I think the amount of research and success and failures that are talked about when it comes to media and movies specifically storytelling um people are aware of these things right or it's like mm -hmm. why is this movie bad you know there's tons of channels yeah. dedicated to people ripping stuff apart or or saying like the effects in this are bad or um people singing the praises of other you know mad max fury road being so practical and <laughs> how all of the visual effects are so well hidden you can't even tell what's real and what's not which I know we've discussed before, but, um, you know, along with this growth of, of the viewer not being, uh, I'm not going to say stunted, but like there's a maturity and a, and an understanding that goes along with our media and our storytelling. So bad CG from 30 years ago, will be like, how did people think that that was a real monster? <laughs> like, it looks like shit. Well, back then it was know amazing and fantastical and and watching jurassic park and the scene where sam neill first sees the brachiosaurus yeah. is like it still holds up as far as <laughs> i'm concerned because like the film grain is adhered to and and specifically if anybody wants to watch that five minutes of that movie watch what happens when they see the first one and then when they stand up and look across the landscape and all of the dinosaurs are in the, the river or the water. Mm. Look at that shot specifically. <laughs> it is, it matches the zoom and the film grain and the, the depth of field, which yeah. so often is not the case. They shoot everything so that it's like, you know, 10,000 miles is in focus <laughs> and they try and drop in some CG effects and it just, it all looks too clean and too polished. Like the human yeah. eye just naturally sees things as, faded or or out of focus you know when it's outside of your field of vision or when it's miles away that fucking scene in like 1993 somebody was well off enough to go you know i should probably make this look like it was shot in the camera <laughs> yeah and it's brilliant and it still holds up but the the evolution in media and storytelling so often in my mind doesn't really follow sorry maybe doesn't follow the 
evolution of the the production value, right? So yes, we all spend a bit of time putting in the extra work or, or, you know, thinking out the extra little steps that we can do to make our story better or have a little bit more fun. Steve, you know, drinking tea while he's still wearing a mask. He was like foreshadowing <laughs> on, on the future and where we all live now. Yeah. But the fact that you pay attention to things like color correction or how hard the edit is between two shots, you know, for when you were working on the Christmas tree base and you pulled it out of your car and then you walked left to right on camera and then the next shot was left to right on camera. So we mm -hmm. continued the same motion. And if you would have walked left to right, and then your next edit would have been right to left. Yeah. That would make no goddamn sense to anybody because it breaks <laughs> the 180 degree rule, which yeah. is a very typical rule that I don't think people either aren't aware of it or, or like they don't pay attention or they don't really care, which it's fine. Like you can make your videos however the hell you want, but the response from the viewer will be better. Because even if they're not paying attention, much like I said about Fury Road, they don't give a shit that it was shot uh, motion correct, you know, frame yeah. left, frame right. <laughs> they don't really care. But unbeknownst to them, it makes more sense. Yeah. So like the story plays better, the, the color correcting and making everything consistent. Oh, this was all shot in the same space. Yeah. If I mean, the, no, the, whole, the whole of um, Snowpiercer, they're going oh, through. Yeah. They're going from the back of the train to the front of the train. But the film is from the left of the train to the right of the train. But when you're on a train, you don't think left and right. You think front and back. But the entire film is shot from left to right, which yeah. logically doesn't make sense until you watch the film and you go, oh, yeah. But the people on the train aren't thinking that way. They're thinking front to back. Yeah, so it's, yeah. really, it's a really like interesting way of keeping that consistency. But actually... well, and, and watch Hero, you know, the Jet Li oh, Hero film, God, which yes. has these the color. insane vignettes of color, <laughs> you know and like we're in the gold act now or we're <laughs> yeah. in the red act. The red and most most filmmaking would look at something like that and go you, you can't do that because it all takes place <laughs> in the same geography you know so it's not like they're they're like now we're in russia so the, the color temperature changes it's it's all taking place within the same buildings and with the, with the same cast and same actors but that director made a conscious choice to say, you know, the the feelings associated with these scenes need to be this, that, and the other thing. And I'm going to do that by injecting these scenes with color. Mm. Yeah. Which is nuts. And he pulled it off really well. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that that is such a fucking brilliant film for how it's filmed. Um, but I think it, it it's very easy for us to talk about all of this and to get kind of... Uh, bogged down in the like you say like the color correction and this and that and making sure this is perfectly filmed and that's perfectly oh, timed and edited total minutiae yeah and and you could go like into so much depth about it um but i think like for the average person who's just making videos just for a bit of fun um like like you said you said it perfectly you can make it however you the fuck you want and the majority of people won't necessarily um know why something makes sense but there are little things that people will notice like you say like going from left to right and then right to left like it people won't think about it but it, it won't necessarily make sense to them um and it's this inherent thing um and i think even if you don't worry about color correction and you don't worry about this and you don't worry about getting those beautiful shots like just remembering those little tweaks and just learning about those little tweaks um can massively improve um how your videos come across even and like i say it i'm talking you spend maybe an hour over the course of a month just watching the occasional youtube video or listening to a podcast or whatever that talks about this sort of stuff and and just picking up enough tips that actually it can change how you think you, so it just means that you stop and think about the shot before you just take the shot so you're not just Right. Okay. Am I in focus? Yeah, that's all I give a shit about. So you're actually doing a little bit, little bit more to it, um, and that little bit of effort. So you're not doing anything extra in the edit. You're just doing that in camera work. I think that can make a, a huge amount of difference. Yeah. Um. I mean, I kind of joked about Jimmy earlier. Like he, his videos are not just him making stuff sped up. Like there's conscious effort, and Brett knows <laughs> it because he edited them. But 
thought goes into those shots and thought goes into the storytelling yeah. and the, the 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 when you when you enter the scene and when you exit the scene and, and how much to tell. Um and I think there's a lot of kind of um assumptions made with people who watch YouTube videos that yeah that it's just a, a video of somebody watching something. Yeah. And and especially people starting out, they kind of um will will try to make a video of, of them making something. And it's not captivating because it you don't want to watch someone make something. You want to watch someone tell a story, and it's a different thing. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it it it's not twitch. That version of storytelling is 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 very deliberate. You know, you you are not watching somebody make something live. It's not like watching Twitch, um, which I'm sure is is um, you know, a viable way of of, of taking in information. But I've now I've never watched Twitch. I don't have time to sit and watch Twitch, but. You know the, the 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 a properly edited story is is a way to 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 give your own spin on it, like you say, Steve. I was thinking yeah. about someone like um, Laura's videos and how sort of mm. instantly recognisable they are. You know, it's not always Laura's face, but there's there's several ingredients in that story that make it a, a Laura video from the props she uses, you know, with the tape and her handwriting to yeah. the, the the set itself, so being in Laura's workshop. Um, there's the actual thing she's building, so the aesthetic of what it, you know, whether it's a, a bedside shelf or like a, a little roller caravan for Smudo, you know, <laughs> the, the, again, that being something that Laura would build is instantly yeah. recognizable. Um, there's the music that goes to it, you know, I'm pretty sure you can yeah. kind of instantly recognize um, the, the, the Laura soundtrack. Um, and Brett, like you said, the, the different materials and the different kind of genres of music that go into it as well and then you then there's the the camera work itself so where the cameras are when you zoom in you know different shots and then it's yeah. the edit you know the edit's probably the last thing that you would recognize as as being laura if you put all those ingredients together but i remember when we were there um for 10 makers and she had uh, christian shooting yeah um and filming for her and the the video still felt very Laura, but there was also his yeah. his kind of signature on it as well, which I thought was super nice. It didn't become yeah. um his videos. You know, there was still hundred percent yeah. Laura videos, but you could also recognize his take on things as well and the way he see things. Um so the yeah, you know, yes, we've talked a lot about the edit, but there's there's so many things going into how you tell a story visually. Yeah. I mean I I think that's uh when when christian joined that's a really good uh example because there was a definite change in that first video that came out it was like yeah. oh <laughs> different here. well i mean a moving um, camera always helps because it, oh, yeah <laughs> everything's on a fucking tripod yeah but i mean and i think that's one of the one of the other things that people kind of um they have to think about as well is the fact that the majority of us are going to be filming on our own so it is going to be a, a completely static um, camera. I mean, most of the, the stuff that I film when I was working is all done static just because my hands are shaky as fuck and I can't I can't steady cam it along sort of thing. I've got a, a very cheap crap gimbal, but it doesn't really do what I need it to do. Um, but I, like, I, I think one of the things that I got stuck in um, when I first started trying to do this and when I first started making the videos is... Um, occasionally wanting to uh leave shots in because they were really nicely beautifully composed shots it's like fuck yeah this is the best shot of the entire video and then i get into the edit and realize it doesn't make sense for the story um and i think like i think with when i'm making videos now i tend to think about like i've, I've learned from brett and i kind of try to edit in camera as much as possible but I'm also thinking about the edit whilst I'm I'm filming stuff. So I will occasionally go, okay, well, that was a really nice shot, but I'm not sure if it tells the story properly. So I'm going to try it from a different angle. It's going to be the same thing, but a different perspective. So I've got I've got options there. Um, mm -hmm. And then they, when when I do a, a, an edit now, I'll have a really rough cut where I've just, just getting rid of all the gumph, anything that just makes absolutely no sense or whatever. And I quite often leave in uh, if there's multiples of something. I'll leave them into the the first draft, as it were, um, just so I can look at it again with fresh eyes and go, right, does this one make sense or does this one make more sense? Which is better? And kind of try and 
way it up. And that second um, run through, that's where I have to be really, really brutal and say, actually, yes, it's a really pretty shot, but it doesn't make any sense and get rid of it. And like, it's much better to have um, some, I don't want to say bog standard, but like not the most aesthetically pleasing um, shots. It's better to have an entire video of them but the story to make sense because that's more watchable. Whereas mm-hmm. just a lot of really pr- pretty shots. It's, it's like reading a comic book and every page being a, a piece of art, like mm-hmm. the, the front cover art, but the, they don't actually connect together sort of thing. Like you need that, that thing connecting everything together. Mm-hmm. Um, and like you said, I think like one of the best things that I learned from Brett was the fact that you have to think about that before you even turn the camera on. Mm. Well, it's, it's at least one of those things that's very helpful for me. So, you know, everyone's mm. going to shoot and edit differently. But biggest piece of advice that I'd ever give anybody that's, that's trying to go down the how do I make my editing better path? It's so personal and, and perspective driven that it's kind of difficult. You can You can just talk about optimizing your work time or editing in camera so you don't end up with 14 hours of footage for something that's going to end up being a three minute long video. Um, the thing that always gets me with talking to makers or people in the community that, that produce YouTube videos of things that they make, um, there's a strong adherence to, you know, don't get too attached or don't treat your materials so precious. But when it comes to the editing, everything becomes precious. You know, yeah. and you don't want to delete it or get rid of it or not use it in the edit because you're like, oh, I, it took me 10 minutes to set up that one shot. And like, yeah. it's a pretty shot, but it does nothing for the video or or maybe yeah. like it's slightly out of focus. And you're like, do I leave it in there? Because I think it's cool, but it looks like shit. I don't know. The, the reason I brought yeah. up documentaries earlier is like so much of documentary filmmaking is leaving stuff on the cutting room floor. Like certain yeah. things you have to basically shoot everything and then figure out what the story is in it yeah. and then take everything out. <laughs> but you, you have to shoot everything just in case something yeah. happens. You know, when we were shooting uh, in my first, very first production gig, it was like, okay, don't overshoot your videos. But if we send you to go do something that's very, timely or like some crazy event you just have to run your camera the whole time because if that moment happens and you don't capture it you've missed out on the story you've missed out on the opportunity so you know people that run their camera all the time and they're moving something through the table saw and they get kickback like in a way you're like hey good thing you caught that moment because if you weren't filming you'd tell people you get kickback but like you don't have anything to show and now you want to show people like hey go be safe because edc and ppe and you know whatever (laughs) like jim you know this is not a this is not meant as condescension at all towards jim but there would be times where the camera would just be rolling for like 20 minutes. I'm like, wow, how yeah. is he going to sift through all this footage? Like, I can't believe he just, he lets this run the whole time. And then like four or five things would happen within that 20 minutes that are just like, oh my God, you could never recreate that again. Like <laughs> yeah. luckily the moment was captured and throwing the ice picks into the table or, you know, like throwing something yeah. on the table and having it land just so you, yeah, you could do that 50 times and try to capture it. And then, you know, edit out or delete every clip that didn't work. But you might be there for hours trying to get it to do that thing. Sometimes it's about just like letting the moment happen. And yeah, you got to sift through the footage afterwards. But what, where is your trade off between the build becoming too precious or the materials you're using becoming too precious versus the footage that you have to take an axe to being too precious? <laughs> yeah. I mean, with that, I the one thing I will say is I've uh, when I've been filming in my workshop, and it's just been for for me rather than for the forge. Um, I've I've had situations where I've just let the camera run, and I've just been like, I'm not quite sure what I'm doing, but I'm going to get let the camera run and think about it afterwards. And I mean, my camera will only film for ten minutes at a time, so it's not too bad. But I've done that, and then 
like stopped after 10 minutes and thought, right, was there anything that was worth uh, saving in that? No. Okay. And just go over and just delete it straight off the camera because there's no point even importing it into um, the editing suite. But um, but I think it's it's interesting you took, like, obviously everyone's mentioned Jim already. Like, I think one of the reasons that Jim's style works so well for him is, like you say, there's, there, are, there is a lot more that goes into um, the videos than you perhaps think. It's not just a case of set the GoPro down anywhere and make sure you're in shot and that's it. Like, he does think about things a little bit. Um, but it's also because a lot of it is his character. Like, if I was to try and produce the same film um, in exactly the same style, exactly the same way, uh, for me, it wouldn't work because my character's not there or the, his character's not there, sorry. Um, and I'm a completely different person to, to Jim. So I think when you're, when you are creating these stories, you have to think about the characters that are in them. I mean, that's one of the great things about doing the forge stuff is the fact that I'm, I'm getting to blend owls, um, like really, uh, quite serious, quite artistic side of it, but also with him fucking up and laughing at himself and and having some fun and, and enjoying it and, and being able to mix those things in together. Um, and I think when you're telling a story, one of the the main components of that story is always going to be the characters within it. And generally that character is, you know, for people listening to this show, that, that character is you. You know, you're you're trying to make a film telling a story where you are the main character. Um, and I mean, like, if you've got someone like Al, then he turns himself into a different character. Um, sorry, Hackshack Al. Uh, this is Jack. Is I just Al's all the time. Um, but like the Hackshack videos, that yeah, you're one minute you're Wolverine, then you're someone else, then you're dead, then you're and then you're that, and. And you put these characters in and you get to play with the editing style, depending on what character you're portraying at the time. Yeah. Um, and you can make really, really simple, but really impactful films just by having uh, a good character. Um, because that's, that's what the film is about. And at the end of the day, your character might be spiffing. Uh, spa, in which case that means I'm first uh, and I'm going to spiff someone that is telling a very very simple story um, it's a complete re-spiff uh, everyone's favourite uh, Facebook group admin Mr John D Harvey Yeah, uh, he is on the YouTubes, he is telling his story uh, he has just got a workshop space that the the men's toilet in his workshop is larger than my entire workshop. It's ridiculous. Um, but yeah, John's got this new space. He's completely starting from scratch. He's got an anvil, a gas forge, and a couple of hammers. And that's basically everything he started with and some scrap steel. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's building the whole shop out. He's... He's telling the story with nice little short um, uh, YouTube vlog style videos. Um, and that's something we didn't really touch on is like the, the vlog style of, of videos as opposed to a, a storytelling video. Um, but yeah, uh, John is just the nicest dude. <laughs> and uh, everyone should go give him some love and, and see what he's going to end up with in this shop space of his. Because I think... Yeah, a few years down the line, that that place is going to be insane. So, um, yeah, go check out John D. Harvey on the YouTube's. Woo! Uh, Sp- Brett, Brett, you're next. Brett, Brett, that's me. Uh, so I'll call it a like a half respiff or something. Uh, I have spiffed Cinema Sins, the YouTube channel, which oh, nice. is yep. hilarious and just tears apart movies but the guy is very it's knowledgeable brilliant. yeah um i don't know what it took uh me watching one of the videos that he put out the other day but all the way to the very end like one of the very last things that he's been saying in his videos recently is that they have a podcast and it has existed since 2015 so i'm <laughs> really? way way late to the party Oops. but 
where CinemaSins is a channel that developed into this, you know, kind of tongue-in-cheek digging at these movies and it's it's fun and we're all laughing at the jokes that he makes because they're well thought out you know comedic time jokes about how bad the mummy looks in such and such movie <laughs> um but on their podcast it's it's him and two other guys one of the one of the gentlemen does i think music video sins so it's like an offshoot of the main channel and then there's another guy, and I can't remember what they all do. I've just started getting into a handful of the episodes. Um, yeah. But it's it's like film analysis, except for they don't they don't really have to adhere to what he does on CinemaSins, which is just tearing things apart and having a good laugh. They talk about good movies and what makes them good and good storytelling and acting. And so if you like CinemaSins because you appreciate movies and and like poking fun at them you probably would appreciate talking about good filmmaking or things that you should watch and um it's been really enjoyable i've only listened to a couple episodes that are like an hour long yeah great to listen to them while i'm working on the workshop but those guys those guys are genuinely knowledgeable (laughs) and and whether or not they are professional filmmakers doesn't really matter they have a way of doing it without a lot of you know their own opinions and perspectives on things. I mean, like, this is a bad movie because it's dumb. <laughs> it's a lot more analytical, and and I I really have enjoyed listening to a few of the episodes. Now I don't know that I'll dive all the way back into 2015. Yeah, I kind of started from some of the more recent stuff, but it's it's been fun, and it's a recognizable voice. I thought I thought that guy's voice on the videos was. You know, this like radio announcer that he yeah. puts on a show. No, that's just what his voice sounds like. So <laughs> it's kind of weird to hear him on the podcast. But... And uh, I'm just looking down through the uh, back catalog of um, of episodes they've got. And there are some almost Fools with Tools style uh, quality um, thumbnails going on there as well. Almost. Um, almost. Not, not as good. But uh, but yeah, there's some good stuff on there. That's that's awesome. I'm definitely gonna have to check that out. Yeah, it's it's been really fun. Again, you know, like I think we're all listening to tons and tons of podcasts on a regular basis, and there's always a million of them out there because everyone's got one. But for film, I'm always looking for things on yeah. on film culture and pop culture stuff. And since yeah. I already like their channel on YouTube, figured I'd give it a shot, and I've been pleasantly surprised. Nice. Yeah. And All that right. being said, if you don't if you don't watch the uh Cinema Sins uh YouTube channel, that is also worth a shot. It's it's good fun. Uh Al, yes. what about you? Um so in a similar vein, um Brett got me onto uh, Cinema Sins, I think it was a was it a respay yeah, it was. Um this is one uh that's a little bit more accessible, it's called Rocket Jump Film School. Um yeah. And it's more kind of, it doesn't delve into that almost kind of judgmental side of things, which is all too easy to do when you're kind of evaluating film and, and yeah. talking about editing and things like that. So this is much more kind of um, painting by numbers, you know, really accessible, really get like basic kind of understanding of, of why um, certain scenes make you feel a certain way or why certain edits uh, are more successful than others. Um, and it kind of covers all sorts of things as well. So from action films to kind of, um, indie films to comedies and stuff like that so it's just a really fun way to kind of delve into some of the stuff that we've been talking about today um, Rocket Jump Film School I think it uses like um, guests from all all kinds of um, parts of the industry so like there'll be the some guys from Corridor Crew will be on to do like mm-hmm. a, a certain episode it'll talk about uh, effects that you can do yourself in After Effects and things, so how yeah. you can actually achieve similar things, so little tutorials as well. It's not just a critique. Um, but yes, it's a lot of fun. Um, give it a go. Rocket I think, jump I think Freddie Wong, he was there uh, towards the beginning of me getting into After Effects between Andrew Kramer on Video Copilot and Freddie yes. Wong. Yeah, Freddie's been around forever and basically <laughs> just decided that he wanted to make his own stuff. Yeah. But stylistically what i appreciated about him is that he would go i just want an explosion here 
it doesn't matter <laughs> match the scene like it's gonna yeah. look impractical yeah but i need an explosion here so he would do just enough work to sell the idea but also comes across a little bit campy in some yeah, of yeah. his videos where you're like okay you're clearly just shooting that on a green screen you're flying <laughs> and it like looks terrible but also looks like it totally could have played in you know christopher yeah. reeves super yeah, yeah, yeah. you're like it's yeah. not really bad it's just that <laughs> i recognize that that's not good now i know that that's how you do it yeah. yeah and he's he just seems like a very disarming guy i've been following for a long time <laughs> it's that's a good shout al yeah, but I it's I've actually seen a couple of their uh, videos before, but I've never actually subscribed or gone into their um, channel page. And yeah, they've got some really interesting looking videos on there. Yeah, yeah. For my sure. my brother did worked with him on something for like a promotional video or something. Yeah. I think he said he was a delightful human, so there that makes go. me feel even better about it. Good. Uh, have we got any other business? Yeah, if you get a chance, go and watch uh, Richard Morley's latest video on uh, the Brain Fizz channel. Um, he's done, I think it, I think it's a channel trailer for his channel, but basically it's like a, a movie trailer for a router. <laughs> and it's really fucking good. It just gets you totally pumped and want to go and use a router. And he's got loads of like um, makers from like around the world to, to just do a little skit about routers, and it's just really funny. Um, and it's, yeah, it's it's very is exciting. Routers are a woodworker's best friend. Uh, which, whatever his latest video is, it's only like a minute yeah. long or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But it's just, it's really cool. It got me pumped anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Uh, I will be watching that as soon as we finish this one. Um, cool. Uh, nothing from Brett. So no, no. that's it. Uh, if you want to find us, you can find us in all of the usual social media places. You can find me at Moonshine Metalworks. You can find Brett at Skull and Spade 13. And you can find Al at Al's Hack Shack. Yes, you can. Cut. There you go. Uh, and if you want to find us as a group, uh, check out fwtpodcast.com or search Facebook or Instagram. If you go on Instagram, you can see all of the lovely thumbnails that uh, Al does, uh, which are better than Cinema Sins. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think that's it. Uh, go out, make some, make some movies, tell some stories. Tell a story. Do that. We love you. Bye! Tell me a story. Thank <laughs> you.